Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. Hello and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex and I am joined, as always, and especially for this trek down the political path, by my co-host Julio. Julio, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm ready to vote. I'm telling you, we're, we're ending this journey on a high note. I'm very excited, very pleased with what we just saw. I'm still processing all the notes that were hit in this last movie. There's a lot to process. It's like you're... You pretty much watched two movies at once. Pretty much, I feel like we just we just had like a full meal. It was like we were, it was packed, packed with issues and solutions and proposals. It was all sorts of good things. Surrounding out our political quartet, I think would that be proper? A quartet, yeah. Quad- quadrilogy. A quadrilogy. There you yeah. go. Is Man of the Year the 2006 film by Bob Levinson, written and directed by Mr. Bob Levinson, uh, starring Robin Williams. Man of the Year is a story of. Wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. So you call you call Barry's Bob? Huh? You call Barry's Bob's? Like I thought it was for Roberts. Oh, it is Barry. My bad. Oh, <laughs> I thought I thought you were like in extremely personal terms with him. And uh, <laughs> oh no, what do I, you call Barry's? Barry's Bear. Bear. Yeah, Mister Bar Bear Levinson. I got too far ahead of myself. <laughs> So Barry Levinson, written and directed by, but yes, Man of the Year is the story of Tom Dobbs' unlikely reign as uh, short reign as president of the United States of America. It's more about his conquest and his journey to it, as he is a political satirical host. It's basically a movie that answers the question: Should John Stewart run for president? And we'll we'll we'll, we'll explore the answer <laughs> as we go. Uh, but first. Uh, well, let's let's see what some people thought because uh, if you follow the pattern of our episodes, and you know that this is uh, time for a movie that was not very well reviewed. No, at all. Uh, so we start with John Forgang from Film Four, who says one of the least convincing political satires of the millennium so far. No bite, no vision, and no laughs. Uh, Cam Williams from You or Web says, "Trust me, a sloppily edited." unmanageable insult to the intelligence with far too many shortcomings to deserve any further analysis. I think that was her whole review. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan R. Perry from Tyler Morning Telegraph, Texas, says Barry Levinson is a case study in narrative schizophrenia. Uh, Schizophrenia? Schizophrenia. 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 There we go. Jonathan R. Perry from Tyler Morning Telegraph, Texas, says Barry Levinson is a case study in narrative schizophrenia with no idea what he wants his film to be. An article from Tyler, Texas, made it onto Rotten Tomatoes. Well, you know, they just, they're, they welcome everybody with an open arms. Have you ever been to Tyler, Texas on purpose? Uh, no. <laughs> well, I might have. I, mean, I don't know. I've, you know, maybe. Probably I, not. I've there's, driven past. It. There's nothing to do there. 
Except <laughs> I, I went to a wrestling show there once. <laughs> uh, Carla Meyer from Sacramento Bee says, Man of the Year pretends to reach for a steak knife and draws a plastic spoon instead. Zing. Uh, M.E. Russell from The Oregonian. The writing is lazy, the movie focuses on all the wrong things, and the tone lurches unpleasantly between gum-soft comedy and lukewarm thriller. And finally, Kyle Smith from the New York Post says, Man of the Year is longer than the FDR administration, less funny than Calvin Coolidge, and deader than Abe Lincoln. Jeez. And you can see how like these reviews were coming from all over America. Yes. <laughs> it was like this consensus that everybody hated this movie. But well, should uh, should they hate it? Well, not everyone hated Tom Dobbs. He was beloved and so much so that uh, the movie starts off with his manager, Jack Menken, played by Christopher Walken, who is just on fire in this movie. He he gives it his all. He, I mean, I'm not saying that the, the rest of the cast was not engaged, mm -hmm. but I don't think that anybody reaches the level of commitment that Christopher Walken <laughs> gives this role. No. Tom Dobbs, like we mentioned before, is the John Stewart, uh, some would say Bill Maher type, but uh, I would not, as I'm not a Bill Maher fan. Uh, but yeah, he's... I'm a John Stewart fan. Are we going to come to oh, no, I, this I, early? I love John <laughs> Stewart. Yeah, I love John Stewart. Bill Maher can f off. But uh, Tom Dobbs, like he's a political, satirical talk show host. The movie starts with him hosting a Q and A, where some young, pretty girl just says, "Maybe you should run for president." And away we go. That's that's all it takes, really. In this in this age of computers and uh, the interwebs, it just all it takes is like a little bit of, of viral video magic, and then it's just the power of the internet, pretty much. Yeah. And so he announces the soon after on his show his intent to run for president of the United States, which we find out was ad libbed because his uh, manager Menken and his right hand man, played by Louis Black, weren't aware of this intention. Uh, yeah, and that's that's just like the problem. We haven't even like you know you haven't seen the the title of the movie yet, right? That's the whole him the, announcing that he's going to run for president. The, it all going viral. That happens before you know while well, the credits are are, are happening, and yeah. you're just like, oh, this person's in this movie, and this person, and this person. From the very beginning, you know you're in for a good time because you there's a lot of good names in the cast, and they don't disappoint. Let me tell you. So after we go through that, which is basically the title credits. Um, we go immediately into our... It's not even a subplot. You would just call it the second plot of the film, I guess? Yes, it's like the other half of the movie. There's a... Um, uh, Woody Allen did this very successfully in uh, at Crimes and Misdemeanor, where he has it, he has two stories that run parallel. One is the Woody Allen story, and one is the Martin Landau story. And Martin Landau's story is a straight-up drama, where he's uh, he has a, a, a former lover... That's threatening to, to ruin his life, basically. He's married. He's had an affair with her. Played by Angelica Houston. And so he has to get rid of her. And it's just, you know, plots to murder her. And it, it gets really ugly really fast. But anyway, uh, so that's the drama. And then Woody Allen's plot, it's like complete comedy. He's just uh, being Woody Allen. And he is making a documentary about a guy that he hates, played by Alan Alda. And anyway, it... it, it, it expertly moves between comedy and tragedy and then it, it comes together at the very end when they finally meet they meet at the, in the very last scene of the movie and this this takes it like a notch further because it, it makes the two characters meet i don't know not even halfway to the movie or maybe halfway to the movie when uh when the two subplots merge and it does a good job of completely differentiating the two because it is just you know light-hearted 
fun times, and then this other plot that we're introduced to here is just, you know, balls to the wall, diehard four type action. Yeah, and, and but I think it's necessary to kind of to keep people's attention. This is a very complex movie, and I, it doesn't surprise me that the American public and the critics and everybody pretty much rejected it because it was so. Uh, there's so much to take. There's so much to process, and and it really. How do you market a movie like this? You know that has laughter, but it also has political insight, and it has pulse pounding action. It just you, you know if you can't package it as something that's recognizable, and then you don't have Warren fail. Beatty to put at the forefront, so it causes a lot of confusion. Right? Yeah, it's the curse and the blessing of knowing, of being Robin Williams. I guess is that as soon as people saw your face in the poster, they were like, well, "We're in for for just laughter." Uh, unless it was one of the artsy movies, and then you knew that oh, I'm in for like just some some introspection. But but this one, it just does everything. So of course, people were confused. So our side plot deals with Delacroix, which is a computer processing company who is in charge of the voting for the upcoming election, computerized voting, you know, with a flawless system, headed by James Hemmings, who always is cast with a shadow on him. Literally in this movie, he's a very ominous figure. But the main character that we're paying attention to doing this is Eleanor Green, playing. Eleanor Green, played by Laura Linney, making her return during this uh, political four. I know it was. She was there like just last month. Mo- <laughs> well, last movie she was barely there. We at this time she gets she gets a lot to do. But she finds a problem with the system in Delacroix. She doesn't know quite what it is, but she does see that it's flawed and that it um, isn't going to work properly. And she's just told, you know, it's okay. And she's kind of swept under the rug. We go back to our. Uh, good times, which aren't too good of times because Tom Dobbs on the political trail is being too serious and his cabinet, uh, as it were, of Lewis Black and Christopher Walken are a bit concerned with this, that he's not flexing his comedic muscles. Yet. Right. He They're bored during his campaign and they think that he's boring uh, the, the American public. And that's that's just the very beginning. This was uh, – it kind of blew my mind once I realized this, but this is not just uh, – about politics and Americans and how they relate to politics and, and, and the voting process. But in a way, all throughout the movie, it is kind of an examination of Robin Williams's career uh, <laughs> because there is the, the ups and downs of his characters, of Tom Dobbs's uh, presidential race, they mimic in a way they 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 mirror his uh, Robin Williams's up and ups and downs as his his career as a as an actor as a comedic actor that suddenly it starts trying to be taken seriously and and you know get serious roles and then i'm sure his manager was like you need to you're known as a funny man you need to become you need to go make license to wed with Mandy Moore and John Krasinski exactly you need to that's what you're known for just like tom dobbs is known for being a comedian they want him to be funny when making those speeches and later on in the movie at some point it just clicks on him and he's like yeah people want me to be outrageous so i'm gonna be outrageous much like at some point Robin williams it's almost like he stopped trying to get an oscar and he was or maybe because he got an oscar he was just like well now i can just go crazy again and just be i think it's safe to say the performance here by robin williams in the story was what laid the foundation for Darren Aronofsky and Mickey Rourke to make The Wrestler. And I, that movie could not have happened without Man of the Year. It, it just, I mean, you didn't have to like pay that much attention to the movie to know that because there are some very specific notes that it hits that they're like the only thing that would make a movie like The Wrestler possible. Mm-hmm. It to a later, you know, to a lesser extent, uh, Black Swan too, but that's more like a, 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 the female take on that, and that's there's that's that's a whole other subject. So good news does come for the Dobbs uh, camp as he is placed into the televised debate 
along with the current president. Uh, I was going to say reigning. I, wa- I watch way too much boxing. Um, the current president, who is Kellogg, and the uh, up-and-coming uh, to-be-elect Mills, which, you know, Kellogg and Mills, cereal, pretty clever. That is that is some clever comedy. But I think at this point we're far, far enough into the movie and our recap of it to really uh, tackle that question of should Jon Stewart be president and what the movie tells you about it. And I think the movie tells you categorically that he shouldn't, even though what the movie shows you is that he should. You know yeah. what I mean? The 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 movie on one level, on the very surface level, it's telling you, yeah, this guy is so much better than all the other guys. Uh, but I think that if you actually sit back and pay attention to what the movie really is, it's telling you, no, this guy's going to do a terrible job. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned it while we were watching it, which is like it's this guy has no idea what's going on, which really kind of is, it seems to be a theme of all the presidents and all the <laughs> movies that we've seen. Uh, but but it's more than that. I mean, he's I don't think it's an accident that he's really not that funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, you and I, yeah, we both like John Stewart and Robin Williams is not being anywhere near as funny as, as, John, uh, as John Stewart is in his show. And I don't think that that's an accident. I think that's on purpose. I think that he's supposed to look as the kind of person that would make the average American laugh. Yeah. And that is not clever comedy. That is just like really dumb jokes about like breast implants and and like really, really old. Like I'm trying to remember. I'm sure I have it on my notes. Boy, like There's some really old material that they're trying. Like even for 2006, <laughs> that's like really old stuff. Uh, I mean later on in the movie, there's, there's like a whole thing about phones, cell phones being obsolete and all that stuff. But yeah. – uh, but yeah, I think that uh, the movie's telling you, it's telling the audience, the American audience in the movie a thing, and it's telling the American audience that's watching the movie a different thing, and and that was part of its downfall. I think that people couldn't differentiate between those two things. So no, the movie's not making a case for Jon Stewart to be the president. It's doing the complete opposite. And yeah. if you pay attention to the movie, if you don't get caught up on, on, on like just the dumb jokes, then you realize that. Yeah. It's saying that just because something can work doesn't mean it should work. Right, exactly. I mean, oh, you you know, he's funny and he's crazy and he makes people laugh, but then step back and it's like the jokes are really dumb and he doesn't really have a plan. Why would you want this, America? It's telling the same thing that the American president, what we started with, does. It's just uh, critics didn't receive it the same way. It is telling him that you need someone, a leader that can force feed citizen sand and they believe it's water type of thing. Right. But but it's telling it's telling you that that in the surface of the movie, but underneath I think it's criticizing that stance. Mm-hmm. It's telling you this is what's gonna happen. This is what do you want this to happen? It's like saying that uh I don't know, it's like saying that I don't have to think of like a good example, but you know, a movie that's selling you something in the surface mm-hmm. and it's not, I'll think about it. I'll 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 come back to it. <laughs> All right. So Dobbs uh in the election here and Dobbs in the debate finally turns on the the comedic charm as uh, he had been demanded to do so, and completely takes over and causes the entire network to just lose control because he just leaves his podium and just starts going off about issues and shutting people down left and right. And it's kind of like that. Um, what's the, the proper terminology here? Almost vindictive uh, withdrawal or um, withholding that he has in that. Yeah, I can do this anytime I want, motherfuckers, but I'm going to choose when and where to do it. And, you know, he's smart. He's kind of sociopathic in the way he's going to do it when the most eyes are on him. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's very 
but but he gets away with it. This mm -hmm. is the thing. He gets away with it because the American the American audience loves him, mm -hmm. and, and it's just one of those things where like, well, what are you gonna do? He he, everybody's applauding him, so you can't cut him off. And also, this movie hates women. And oh yeah, 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 yeah. We'll we'll Anytime. we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> Laurel Linney deserved at least an Oscar nomination just for putting up with all this shit. But that's, but that's well, it was I, a woman mediator at the debate too that she couldn't keep control. It, yeah, the guy, the guy, the in the background was like, yeah. "Take care of it." Take that, care of that's it. for the second portion though. But during this whole time, Christopher Walken is interjecting. There's just amazing camera cuts to him saying things like "boom." Smackdown, things like that. He's he's on fire. But uh, if you look past that, you see that he's chain smoking like a goddamn chimney and coughing up a lung. And you know, it, it's a good moment in the movie. But if you're paying close attention, you know that doom is impending. Yeah, you. This movie rewards you if you're a smart viewer, and if you're just just part of the cattle, you're also rewarded because you're just just taking it in as I'm like, oh yeah, cool, awesome, but a boom, like whatever it is that he says. <laughs> Uh, so following the debate, um, there's a celebratory sense in the air for Dobbs and his team when uh, Menken, Jack, uh, Christopher Walken, goes down, just starts coughing, says he's short of breath, goes down. We find out that um, heart disease has pretty much overtaken him due to a, a lifetime of smoking. and um, a, lifetime, a lifetime of being an entertainer, or at least like in, in entertainment because he's a manager. Yeah. Um, but this segues somehow or another to our montage of the film, which is on the campaign trail. We see Tom Dobbs, Tom Dobbs, you know, addressing the media, going over all the bad things he's done in his life in a really charming way. And well, we yeah, he he explodes. He becomes like a, a, a full on stand up comedian mm -hmm. in the campaign trail, which is what what Walken wanted the entire time. And it really, I guess, when faced like it would happen to any of us if you were faced with the prospect of almost losing Christopher Walken in your life, you'd be like, I'll do anything he says. And so that happens. It's like a wake-up call for this man to just go on uh, and, and just be be what he's supposed to be, an entertainer. But basically, he becomes a rock star via this montage. And, you know, it's I think if Bernie Sanders was about 15 to 20 years younger right now, this would be what we'd be seeing with him, you know, on stages with fog machines and lights going off and things like that. Um but it comes down to election day, and all that's good and great. But Tom Dobbs stands at only seventeen percent of the votes, while Kellogg and Mills are battling it out in the forties. And the outlook is not so good here. But uh, somehow or another, Tom Dobbs starts winning states. Yeah, and now of course we know they mm -hmm. don't know, but we know why because back in the Laura Leaney political thriller subplot, mm -hmm. uh, there is a there's something wrong with the with the software that they they're using, and she's figured out. Uh, you know, like uh, that error that she reported when she's seeing the the results come in, she recognizes the pattern mm -hmm. that she had notified them about weeks ago. Which, again, somehow the American public doesn't realize that a independent party stand up comedian shouldn't be president of the united states she's the only one uh everybody else i think that the well but you know it, it's it's a very interesting point alex because i'm pretty sure it's like let's be honest here like you know if you don't vote and i don't vote and we just see the results we're like oh i guess that's what's happening yeah. <laughs> you know you can't even say you can't True. even say hey i didn't vote for that guy there's no way that that's happening it's it, funny this movie's not even a decade old and you watch that and you're just like huh and then you look on TV, and people are little legitimately considering Donald Trump to be a president. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. 
scary times. But we do go back to the epic subplot thriller, uh, political conspiracy thriller with Eleanor Green as she is at the Delacroix party they're having. And no one's really celebrating any political affiliations. They're just happy because the system's working, or so they think. Eleanor goes to confront Hemmings, the man who leads the charge there, when... Did we get a shot of Jeff Goldblum prior to this? Very briefly. Okay. It, just enough to get me salivating for more. Because he, you know, whatever the opposite of Leo getting shot at the end of The Departed is, <laughs> is Jeff Goldblum's introduction here. Because he storms the scene as Laura Lenny's going off on Hemmings. Uh, you know, he he doesn't really know what to say. Jeff Goldblum, who I guess is their attorney or their... He's he's the man behind the man, obviously. He's... Because the guy with the glasses, the guy that's running the, the you know, the LaCroix, he's he's just there, but he doesn't really say much. He Goldblum really... is basically Palpatine. Like, yes, he just comes exactly. in and yeah. he, just bas- he just unleashes and ethers Lauren Lenny. And he's like, do you want all these people to be unemployed? Do you want to tell the American public the dream's a lie? But but it's 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 an amazing scene for, for several things. One is that... Somehow there is no way I I can I had trouble fathoming the fact that Jeff Goldblum looked like that in 2006 because like right now he looks he's great and I'm not saying he doesn't look sickly or anything but he looks old he looks like grandpa now like yeah. he has like really short hair and it's white and everything in 2006 he looks like he just walked out of the set of The Fly he had like a full head of black hair no wrinkles no glasses he looks he looks just. Like he's at the prime of his of his uh, I'm not gonna say career, but the prime of like his his life. <laughs> like, like he's in his thirties. Uh, so that's one thing that he has going for it. The other is that he completely. I mean, he's clearly the villain. He's shot in yeah, shadows. I was just about to say he's clearly he, the bad guy. In this he's movie. shot from like underneath. Or he has that 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 really sinister framing around him. Uh, but also, he's just dropping some hard truths. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's not. A hundred percent wrong in what he's saying, yeah. And and I think that that was a very valiant attempt from this movie to open up a conversation about these issues. He's saying about how the important thing is not that the right person, that the person that everybody voted for, will become president. The important thing is to preserve the appearance of democracy. Yeah. And and he's like, what do you want to do at this point? Just like destroy everything on the day of an election day? You're gonna say that it was all a sham, and you could say yes, you could say no, but really that conversation needs to happen, and and nobody's really valiant enough to do this except for mm-hmm. like you know this movie and Jeff Goldblum in this movie where he just lays it all out and and because it's the beginning of the movie and our heroine needs to like learn some stuff, uh, Laura Linney backs down. Yeah, it's but that's early, you know. It's, it's she she will become a stronger character as it goes, but but at this point it's it was I was blown away by Goldblum, and it was so early in the movie I just couldn't wait for to see what happened next. So the defect in the system does start to take over as um, we find out that 146 electoral votes now belong to Tom Dobbs, and it is within reach for him to win the presidency of the United States. Uh, he goes and visits Menken in his hospital bed. And, uh, you know, Christopher Walken was pretty worse for wear here. And he says, this is the greatest night of my life, but I can't stay awake. And uh, in a a real scene of just great writing and also just well pulled off, we find out that Tom Dobbs has won and become the president of the United States as he just sits there by himself as Christopher Walken sleeps. And he's drinking wine from a paper cup. Um, Really good scene because I think... Robin Williams acting in here is on point too because it's just the overwhelming shock, but then also the what now type thing. It's like the graduate 
just the whole movie put into about 40 seconds of acting. Yes, you just condense all that power in, into that one scene. And it's important that the movie does – this is a long movie. It's like an hour and 55 minutes. And, uh, I mean, it earns every second of its runtime. It's short by Judd Aptow standards, but it's, it's a decent right. length. But it also, like, you know, 10 times more powerful than anything Judd Aptow will ever do. <laughs> Uh, True. I'm, I'm waiting for the John Apatow political comedy, but... It'll star Leslie Mann, don't worry. Uh, yes. The first... It'll be like the Hillary biopic. Oh, God. Uh, but no, uh, I think it's important to have these smaller moments, uh, and sometimes not so small, but something that brings you down to reality and makes you remember, hey, you know, these are people and, and these are this is the real world. Uh, because... Uh, it's it, it would be too easy to kind of get lost in the high concept of oh a comedian mm-hmm. becomes a president and then it's just like we're off to fantasy land but the movie keeps grounding you in reality throughout every every 10 every 10 15 minutes you have a scene like this one where you just settle in and it's like oh yeah this is life and actually what happens next in the yeah. movie is is a perfect example of this yeah and again it's cliche but it is a powerful scene just in the sense of robin williams acting is on point in that it was basically just a joke that went too far, and then he realizes he now runs the most powerful nation in the entire world. We've all been there. We've all <laughs> been there. Where I mean, maybe we were not elected president, but we've all taken a joke too far, and then we're just like sitting next to Christopher Walken as he dies, and we're like, "What? What now?" Except, and and this is a this is a good. Uh, I think this is, this is a good filmmaking choice. It, I think that Barry Levinson knew that he could only push his audience so far. And even even now, you could make the argument that he pushed them too far, and that's why the movie was not well received. Mm-hmm. But if we had had to, on top of everything else, if we had had to worry about Christopher Walken making it alive, you know, making it through the movie, staying alive, it would have been too much. Mm-hmm. So very wisely, he bookends the movie with Christopher Walken as a narrator. So yeah. you know, the movie starts with him talking about this, and you're like, he's gonna be okay. He's in the hospital. He looks like he's about to die, but you know, he's gonna survive because he's he's telling the story. Because he's in a bunker somewhere talking to an unidentified <laughs> yes. person, and he looks fairly healthy. Yes. He looks like FDR in his wheelchair. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, Tom Dobbs is the president of the United States. Uh, Eleanor Green's watching this from her apartment when she hears a clatter. She goes to check on it and see what it is. Nothing really suffices. Comes back to her bed, jumps in it, and some stranger from the shadows jumps out and injects her with a syringe full of God knows what. And this movie takes a turn. It, it gets things get real. Like, I'm talking, you know, I was telling you about touching base and making sure that things politics are ugly dirty nasty things uh, uh, you know it's, it's a nasty environment and and politicians are horrible and people that are involved with politicians are the worst and uh, i mean there are exceptions but come on we, we all know that that's how it is and that's this scene just basically it's a slap in the face telling you this is not a fairy tale mm-hmm. yes you might have gotten a comedian to the white house somehow but but the real world's still out there, and horrible <laughs> things happen to good people that know that the election was uh, uh, not rigged, but it wasn't official. It wasn't; it, those are not the proper results. So they basically just shot her full of a bunch of stimulants and uppers. She goes to the cafeteria at Delacroix the next day and is hopped out of her mind. And uh, true scene of acting brilliance here from Laura Linney. That that would that would have been. I mean, she has several to to pick from but that would have been her her oscar clip <laughs> it, it, some because i mean this goes on for a long time because i understand that they wanted to make 
you as uncomfortable as possible with the situation. Yeah. So you see her really break down and fall to pieces over maybe 10 minutes worth of a scene. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, any 30 seconds out of there would have been her Oscar submission and she would have won. I don't know what happened. Maybe she just, she's just not interested in competing. She didn't campaign. No, she, she does it for, for the work. She's, she's not like interested Leo. In the it's just whatever. Yeah. Um, so she's taken off to the hospital. They call 911, finds out that, you know, there's a ton of drugs in her system. Cocaine is the one they keep going back to. And she's telling her friends, like, you know, I don't do this type of thing. No one believes her. Classic political conspiracy. Um, she eventually gets out of the hospital and she's just on a mission to share the truth. She knows that the only person in the world that will believe her is Tom Dobbs. And so she goes to uh, DC, track him down. She poses as an FBI agent, somehow gets a badge, and uh, goes... Well, she's resourceful. I mean, she is... Uh, there's the one thing... Uh, a, a movie, a lesser movie, would have had the, the Laura Leaney character just be broken by now. And then have would have had her roommate slash boyfriend slash son slash brother. I don't know who that guy was that was with her. Yeah. You know, they're, they're Poor watched... man's Diego Luna. <laughs> yes. He, they watch TV together. They seem to work together. Yeah, they work together for a fact. Yeah. And uh, there's, uh, I don't know, but he doesn't seem to care that much once she, you know, obviously they're not in that serious relationship if they were in a relationship at all because he does not take her side at all once she gets, uh, when she's like drugged. Uh, a lesser movie would have made that guy the hero of her story, you know, and she would have been broken and he would have been the one that picks up the torch and it's like, well, let's figure this out. Uh, but instead, he gets paid off and sent, like, he gets a promotion and he goes to, like, Ireland, I think, or something, yeah. right? Which is a very clever, like, movie doesn't make a big deal out of it, but it's a very clever point that the man, because he knows about the, the, the glitch, yeah. he knows about the whole thing. The, the, he knows everything that she knows. But for some reason, he gets paid off and sent to Ireland with a promotion, whereas, like, she gets assaulted and pumped full of drugs, <laughs> completely discreet. They ruin her life, and they give him a promotion. And that is the movie, in a nutshell, telling you what it's like to be a woman that works in anything related to politics. So, good for you, movie. Bad for you, American audience, for not picking up on that. So, she poses as an FBI agent. She goes to Washington and tracks down Dobbs. They're uh, having Christopher Walken, Menken's birthday. Um, and she comes up, introduces herself to um, President-elect Dobbs, uh, asks to dance with him. They end up dancing. She kind of starts explaining what's going on. She needs to talk to him about this, but she's smitten with him because, you know, women. Uh, be, well, it's a movie. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's you need something sweet to make the medicine go down. And I understand. Uh, I, you can't. You have to have the cute dance number and everything. So, you know, that, that's fine. Um, I understand. Bear Levinson is not... He's not... He has... He's, a, he's just human. Mm -hmm. You know, he has to make use of all the tropes and tools of a filmmaker. And part of that is just to, to put a little bit of, like, romance in there and have a, a dance uh, number with Robin Williams and Laura Linney. <laughs> And, and and that's fine. That's fine because it'll, it'll get us through. It's just like, just like those moments where you touch base and and with reality. There's also these moments where you just have to be entertained and you have to be, be able to make it through these really terrible truths that the movie's uncovering for you. 
still you get the occasional Robin Williams stand up, you know, five minutes of stand up where he's just like, yeah. you know, ranting off jokes and, and, and you have the dance number and so on. And that's yeah. okay. That's that's necessary. And randomly, Louis Black will come in just flailing his limbs and. And you're like, oh, it's Louis Black. I must be laughing. <laughs> that's that's good. That's that's just a very resourceful filmmaker. Knowing that he's making a difficult movie and just availing himself of everything he can, all the resources he can summon to to make that movie easier to digest for the average show. The plot of the conspiracy continues to thicken as uh, President-elect Dobbs contacts Hemings, the leader of Delacroix, you know, wanting a bit more information on Eleanor Green and, you know, oh, you know how to get a hold of her, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and he's just like, oh, yeah, did you hear about a drug problem? And, you know, just trying. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. No try- tact. <laughs> just trying to completely throw her under the bus. And, you know, Dobbs is kind of thrown off by this, understandably so. But we do go back to Eleanor's hotel room where she's still trying to figure out the code. She's run so many tests and doesn't quite get it. But She's no longer in drugs, but she looks like she could be. In yeah. Drugs. Uh, it, there's this, the most potent drug at all, of all is the truth. And she's she's just being infected by it, and she wants to get to the bottom of it. I also think it's worth pointing out that, uh, unlike Michael Douglas's doofus of a president, Robin Williams can just cl- you know he just call people from his desk, yeah, and he doesn't have to like figure out how to like get an exit line or anything. I'm sure he could have ordered flowers if he wanted to. <laughs> Fortunately for Eleanor, she happens to have Wheel of Fortune on in the background, whereas someone's buying a vowel and it adds up to double letters, and she realizes you know Eureka. And she figures out that the system's flaw is double letters, and it's alphabetical. So Dobbs, the BB, counteracts the LL of Mills and the the GG of Kellogg. Yeah, Yeah, that's why when it was Kellogg versus Mills, GG would beat LL. Mm -hmm. But then once it's Dobbs versus everybody else, nothing beats it. Aaron would be the only (laughs) thing that would win. Um, Michael Aaron. (laughs) <laughs> there you go Eleanor gets a call from Dobbs walks outside of her hotel room he's there waiting because you know he's the president he knows where the fuck she is and takes her paintballing and we get um... oh, wait, wait 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 before we get to the joy of the paintballing which is you know one of those scenes where I'm telling you you just need you need a little bit of sweet for your medicine mm-hmm. uh, there is an even well there's two things one is that the reason she can figure out this this error in the coding and all that stuff is because she still has access to, to oh yes <laughs> she, she still has access to the network where she used to work which is very telling because again going back to the plight of a woman working in this kind of environment she is completely underestimated they didn't even consider shutting down her access once they pumped her full of drugs and, and ruined her career she still has which is great i think that's great that just shows you that the system that Names the leader of the free world. <laughs> yes. She still well, has access to. Well, you know, you underestimate a woman at your own peril. I think that's what the movie's telling you. And we also underestimate the hubris of one Jeff Goldblum. Oh, exactly. Yeah. It, it, that's, that's, that, it's all in that hair. You could just tell from the beginning he's just too full of himself. Uh, the other thing is that, I don't know if you, well, you must remember now that I'm bringing it up, that brief commercial, or I don't know, she has a TV on. I don't know if it's her or Robin Williams, where you, on the TV for a few seconds, you get Billy Crystal and Robert De Niro. <laughs> yeah, that that wasn't a real thing. That was So that is something they made exactly just, just for the movie. That, that's not from Analyze This or Analyze That? No, that is not from either of the Analyze movies. Is it that, from Analyze Those? <laughs> maybe Analyze These? Maybe. <laughs> analyze These. Uh, but yeah, you get Robin Williams and Robert De Niro in uncredited cameos 
just doing like a little bit of comedy in 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 a TV background. I mean, at some point the camera actually like focuses on them. But do they have a history with Barry Levinson? Uh, well, De Niro was in uh, Wag the Dog. Other well, Bill uh, Crystal, yeah. but but you know, but then De Niro has a history with Crystal, so maybe he brought him along. Mm-hmm. Either way, you get like I don't know, they got paid like five bucks in coffee for for that cameo, but but it was it's just delightful to watch because you're in the middle of this kind of kind of a we're at a really down point in the movie because horrible things are happening to Laura Linney, and Laura Linney is a very likable woman, so you just feel bad for her. And even though Robin Williams is president, you're just not feeling good about yourself. <laughs> And then you see you have Robin, uh, uh, Billy Crystal and uh, Robert De Niro on the screen for a few minutes or a few seconds. And you're like, oh, this is good. This is this, something good's going to happen. And, of course, the next scene is just paintball, yeah. which everybody loves paintball. There's no way that, that that wouldn't raise your spirits. We wind back the clock a bit from 2006, and we get a pretty solid 1998-1999 montage of a paintball game here um, that... I think it's just kind of supposed to be like the the pressure valve just kind of releasing. Like, you know, we built up a lot here, so we're just going to let some steam out. And uh, what follows is Eleanor and Dobbs having a bit of a conversation. And she kind of almost tells him, and he's like, look, I know about your drug problem. It's okay. And, you know, leads to a kind of freak out of hers. Uh, not for long though, because we go to Thanksgiving dinner with. Uh, is, that, every... is that supposed to be the same day? I wasn't sure. I mean, that that that's his life seems pretty busy. Mm-hmm. Like he's always booked somewhere, and then one day he just has paintball and and Thanksgiving dinner. I guess. I don't know. All their hair looks pretty good. If that was the case, but uh... well, I mean, it just it kind of made sense to me. They were the same day just because Laureline is still with them, unless yeah. he just invited her to Thanksgiving. On top of that, that's I don't know. During Thanksgiving dinner, they finally get a moment alone, uh, Eleanor and uh, President Dobbs, that is, where Eleanor tells him, you didn't win president in the United States. The system was flawed. You know, this is what's going on. Do with it what you want to. Yeah, and, and Robbie Williams' mind is blown and the audience's mind is blown because you were like, oh, I thought we were going to stretch this out to the end of the movie. But no, Byron Levinson, Byron Levinson has plans and they do not end with Robin Williams finding out that he's not supposed to be president. <laughs> There's more to, to go in this movie. So uh, that is I – I found it refreshing. I found it surprising. And uh, it, suddenly I didn't know what, what I was in for. I didn't know – because I always assumed that the game – you know the game plan, like the the end game was Robin Williams finding out the truth at the very yeah. end. I figured that was gonna be, you know, there was gonna be a scene where he's about to do the oath, and then she runs and tells him, and then he has to decide. But no, this happens, and we still have at least forty minutes of movie to go. Mm-hmm. So now you, as an audience, have no idea what's coming. So uh, President-elect Dobbs calls a press conference for the next morning. You know, and it's discovered by the Delacroix people. Um, Jeff Goldblum and leader James Hemmings, that he's going to unveil, you know, what's happened. So they say, oh, well, fuck that. We're going to hijack this. So they hold a press conference earlier. So at goddamn 430 in the morning, I guess they announced that, you know, we had to let this employee go. She was obsessed with Tom Dobbs. She's created this scenario, but our system works, damn it. And, you know, you can't really follow up with that. So you can't. And, and you know, the. America, as as this movie keeps pointing out, it's on TV, so they'll buy it. Exactly. <laughs> They're just like, all right, well, that's it. Anybody that contradicts them doesn't make any sense because they were on TV first. <laughs> we escalate into a full-on action movie, almost like a Godfather-esque type film here where... I was thinking Bourne. 
Born. I was thinking the Born movies. I was thinking Godfather just for the reason because we're watching, you know, President-elect Dobbs uh, talking to people at this. Oh, you're banquet. thinking of the of the, of the cross cutting. Yes, exactly. Okay, yeah. No, I, I see what you mean. No, I, okay. I guess I guess I didn't think Born until later on. When things get really actiony. Yeah. Uh, so it's yeah. basically him making all these jokes to people interwoven with you know Laura Lenny fleeing from these people that are trying to capture and abduct her. And uh, at this point in time, you know, President like Dobbs is the only person that believes there's any good in her. You know, Lewis Black. Christopher Walken, everyone else in his campaign, the public, or just think that she's just this crazy woman that's after him. And he he truly believes her, and he keeps in touch with her on the phone, so much so that as he's in the Oval Office sitting in you know the president's chair for the first time, as the former president Kellogg's trying to explain to him how everything runs, he's on the phone with her, like, what's going on? You're in a mall? Okay. She, and, then, and then her phone dies, and she can't find a charger for it. I don't know why she didn't have her charger with her. Probably because she's been running around, so she didn't have mm-hmm. time to pack. Uh, but uh, but yeah, she tries to get a charger from a from a phone store, and uh, and then the attendant tells her, "Well, no, that phone's like a year old. We don't carry chargers for those anymore." And looks at her like she's an idiot. And I was just happy that this movie it's dealing with big issues, but it does not shy away from like the minutia <laughs> of real life, where it's suddenly. Just for for a brief moment, it doesn't really derail the movie into anything else, but it tackles that one thing of like, can we just stop with the with the updating the phones every year, and can we just have, I don't know, a good solid five years of having the same phone and not having to worry about updates and all that stuff? If the movie was made this year, she'd just be saying, "Does anyone have a wall jack? I need to plug my phone." <laughs> yeah. In. yeah. Well, Barry Levinson didn't know the future back in two thousand six. She does get taken captive by some big burly some bitch who takes her. <laughs> To his pickup truck, basically, and is like, get in. We're going to take you to the Delacroix employees. You found something wrong with the system. They're going to pay you off. But she fights back, you know, slams a car door in his face. Looks like she breaks his nose. She she doesn't need Robin Williams or anybody else to save her. She's Even if she doesn't quite realize it in the movie, we do. I mean, from the moment, even I already had an inkling earlier on, but from the moment she breaks that guy's nose and st- storms off, I'm like, oh, she's going to be okay. Yeah. Which is good because you need that again. You need the reassurance that overall things are going to be okay because there's there's so much wrong in this movie uh, as far as like the things that it's pointing out about our country and about our electoral process that you need to know. Just like you need to know that that uh, Christopher Walken is not going to die before the movie's over, you also need to know that Laurelin is going to be okay. She can take care of herself. She took care of that that burly guy. Then yeah. she she'll be okay. She doesn't need Robin Williams to to come and rescue her. So while this is all going on, we get like our Lewis Black scene of the film where he explains the problem with TV. And I think this was, you know, he's had some moments throughout the film, but this was the basically the the calm before the storm, which was the third act of the film, which, you know, say what you will about Lewis Black. But I think it was this was well deserved for him to have his moment on the silver screen. And And it was it was kind of. Well, he needed it because everybody else in the cast has had a chance to shine. They've yeah. all had at least one scene where they they really brought it. And we keep talking about Oscar clips, but it would be like their Oscar clip. Mm-hmm. And Louis Black had his few funny lines here and there, but there's the one scene that's just for him. And and he makes the most out of it, and he makes a great point, much like, much like Jeff Goldblum earlier in the movie when he's just dropping a lot of, of, of really hot takes about what it's like. To live in America and be a politician, uh, here, uh, you know, uh, Louis Black is telling you that basically you're all dumb because 
all it takes is for something to be on TV and you'll just buy it. Yeah. And it's a very good point and it's something that merits more discussion. Barry Levinson knows that America doesn't have time for that discussion in a movie <laughs> where Robin Williams is going to be president. So he wisely just plants the nugget of wisdom in mm -hmm. there from a likable comedian like Louis Black and yeah. then hopes that on, on the drive home, somebody will be like, hey, remember what Louis Black said? That was something, isn't it? <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah. His speech concludes with President-elect Dobbs uh, getting a call from Eleanor, who finally found a payphone to contact Matt. You know, someone's after me. I need help. And he says, where are you? And, you know, that could just be a question for life in general. And that, <laughs> she responds as such. She just says, I don't know. I don't uh, know. And that really, that was a moment where, like, America everywhere should have just taken that long, hard look at itself and just go, like, I don't know where I am. <laughs> I know I'm watching a Robin Williams movie where he's the president, and that should have given me a hint as to the state of the nation. And so, you know, she says, I don't know. She's just rambling on. And finally, we see coming in from stage left, the truck of the man sent to, you know, take care of her comes in, just completely annihilates the phone booth. We think she gets out of the way, but it's not to be as she is critically injured in the accident. And, uh, President-elect Dobbs immediately makes them go to the scene of the crash. He goes to the ambulance that she's being loaded into. And, you know, he still knows there's some good in her. But all she can keep saying is BBLLGG, GGBBLL, just over and over again, trying to explain the system to him. And you don't think it takes, but it clearly does. Uh, yeah, I mean, he he doesn't figure out what she's saying, but he knows that it's important. And now there's, without a shadow of a doubt, it, clearly somebody was out to killer even though only robin williams can tell because it's mm -hmm. still christopher walken's still skeptical everybody else still skeptical uh i think it's very telling that the next the very next thing he's supposed to do is go to snl to just be part of a sketch and that's basically yeah what the the last act of the movie that's basically what the whole third act of the film's built to is his special cameo appearance he's going to have on uh, weekend update on snl yeah i think that uh it, it, you know America has kind of started taking – well, it started a long time ago, but you know, by now you just take SNL for granted. Mm -hmm. You just don't expect big, important things to happen in SNL, whereas once upon a time it was where you would see comedy breakthroughs and just the latest. It, it, it was like the hip, cool show. Now it's just – it's part of the establishment. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Barry Levinson chooses that and turns it around, that makes it – basically the, the stage for the climax of his movie that yeah. is that is clever as hell i was so impressed and at the time he has you know makes it happen during weekend update where like tina fey back when tina fey and amy poehler were were uh hosting the that, post jimmy fallon era yes let's the good era <laughs> <laughs> uh but even then even before you get there because i was gonna say you know when you, you just load your climax with tina fey and amy poehler plus robin williams how could you go wrong that's you know that's the recipe for success but even for then there's this really awesome uh moment before he goes to snl where he's telling he's uh, robin williams is talking to christopher walken about what just happened and what he what should he do and then walken tells him well listen you just need to decide if you're going to be present or not and blah 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 and then walking who's been on the wheelchair since he had his his you know whatever since he went to the hospital since yeah. his health went to hell he gets up from the wheelchair and goes into the plane that's supposed to take him to new york to tape snl and that was that was steering just on its own but also if you've happened to see the michael bay masterpiece pearl harbor 
it it's a callback <laughs> to that moment where uh John Voight playing also an American president uh he's playing FDR and then there's a moment in that movie where he just he's in a wheelchair and he gets up from the wheelchair just kind of like to show his resolve against these forces attacking us so that was so many connections it was almost too much to take <laughs> Uh, brilliant because you know walking and void they're like contemporaries so it was just it was just amazing to watch after that i knew that whatever happened in the next like 15 minutes was just gonna be smooth sailing because we had he had everything under control so we get to weekend update in snl and uh president-elect dobbs is going along and doing what you know the cue cards say and then he just goes off script and starts spitting the truth about what actually happened and you know eleanor green wasn't a bad person there was a reporting error or something was wrong with the computers. I'm not really the president. And Tina Fey and Amy Poehler are kind of sitting there in awkward silence as he's going on and on about this. And um, That's not bad acting, by the way. That's exactly what would happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're great. Well, as I told you, though, while we were watching it, I called bullshit because Lorne Michaels doesn't stand for ad lib. So he... But, but maybe in this case... The, the, when it affected who ruled the country. Uh, yes, exactly. The the power of the truth that was happening in his show at that point. I mean, that is like the ultimate. SNL is, is basically a lot about, you know, improvising and stuff. So so the ultimate SNL improvising moment would be the president of the United States admitting that he was not supposed to be the president of the United States. That's, I guess it's true. He was probably salivating his, like, ratings. Yeah, exactly. That's good TV. Um. So Tina Fey asks, well, are you going to be in the re-election? He says no, and it's it's a callback to when uh, Tom Green wrote the the Bum Bum song, and he was voted number one on Total Request Live, and he told them, take this off because I don't deserve to be here. It's that thing of like, so many of you people voted for me, a lot of you didn't, but some of you did. It's just, it's absurd for me to be here in the first place. It's basically Robin Williams arriving to the conclusion that we've kind of, that, that's been building up through the entire movie and that some of us, hopefully most of us, figure out halfway through, if not earlier, which is the answer to the question. John Seward should not be president. Yeah. <laughs> John Seward should, should have a TV show where he talks about politics. Again, just so something can work doesn't mean it should work. Right. Yeah. No, he's more valuable, as he says, as a jester that makes fun of the king, not as a king. Yes. And after this, because he did this, because he stepped down, Christopher Walken said he was bigger than ever. So there's a big celebration. You know, we're seeing him all over the newspapers everywhere. Um, he took the high road and it paid off in a huge way this time. Um, Kellogg won the reelection and the Delacroix, uh, Jeff Goldblum and the leader Hemmings were put in jail. We get to see their mug shots, which was pretty rewarding as a viewer. Uh, and we, we get the happy ending that, you know, we could have only hoped for as he goes to visit Eleanor in her hospital bed and, you know, she's recovering, but it turns out they end up together. Not only they end up together, she becomes his producer because he goes back to doing his TV show, and then she she's producing it because I guess she had like she's Laura Linney and she survived almost being run over by by a big truck. So of course she can produce a TV show; she can do anything she wants. And uh, yeah, so it, it's a happy ending all around. Louis Black is is employed again because uh -huh. that was that was the one bad thing about Robin Williams becoming a president was that his main writer was suddenly out of a job. But, yeah. Uh, but no, he's back in business, and also Christopher Walken uh, is still alive in a bunker somewhere, relaying the story to someone that we're not quite sure who they are. That's the biggest, the last final punch of the movie, and it's probably the biggest, where you keep waiting for the big reveal of who's 
Christopher Walken talking to, mm-hmm. and and you don't get it. Instead, you get uh, uh, the Time magazine cover, which shows that Robin Williams, Tom Dobbs, becomes Man of the Year. Which, did we see the phrase Man of the Year in the beginning, or was this like a Christopher Nolan type thing where he didn't show the title of the movie? No, no, no you, do, you do see it. Because oh, that, okay. that's how I knew that the epilogue was, was over, and now we're, oh, okay. we're really into the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that it's pretty clear to anybody that's paying attention that, in the end, Christopher Walken is talking to you. Mm-hmm. He's talking to you, the viewer. You, the person that bought a ticket and watched this, or you, the person that watched the DVD, or you, the person that downloaded this movie illegally... It, He's talking to you. It's like this kind of shit happens in America because of you. Because you either vote for the wrong person or you don't vote at all. It's it's a call to arms. A very brave and very ingenious call to arms. I think that obviously it misfired. <laughs> <laughs> if But I give Barry Levinson props for trying, for actually doing this uh, vicious indictment of, of the American uh, – public of the American mm-hmm. voting force and hope, you know, I'm sure he hoped that this would wake us up and get all of us to the voting polls the next time that, uh, that they're open, like get into the booth and vote and whatever. But instead, you know, he just got a shitty score on Run Tomatoes and that is a shame. <laughs> and did it on a fairly shoestring budget. Oh, that's right. Well, we'll talk about that. Uh, once we get to the real talk part, which will be, very different <laughs> from this uh, from this portion of the podcast. So are we ready for real talk? We are so ready for real talk. <laughs> Mr. Dobbs, what would your position be on national security? All right, come on. Go on, Tom. Go for it. Do it. Well, I believe that some of these measures are already tough. If you've ever been through passport control, you stand in line with thousands of people. Eventually, you get to an immigration officer who's behind bulletproof glass. He takes your passport. Looks at your passport picture, looks back at you. Looks at your passport picture, sees, why do you have your haircut? I don't know. I felt good about myself. <laughs> the next thing he does is they have a video camera that takes a picture of you then and compares it to a previous picture of you. They're very tough about that. They're very skeptical. He's got to make this move. That's what they do. More oomph. Meanwhile, at the southern borders of our country, four million illegal aliens are crossing the border with bedroom sets and night tables. He's getting angry. Uh, this is not your talk show, Mr. Doss. Uh, and you're not on your private plane flying to the golf vacation you took with the three he- heads of the major oil corporations. Well, wow. how did you get there? It's and, like and something I never saw before. Mr. Doss, you have to return plane. to the podium. Oh, that's a blimp. I'm sorry. Yeah, no Dobbs. smoking in the hydrogen. Boom! Hindenburg. Okay. Mr. Doss, well, no, no, please. I'm just saying. Please, yeah, let's of course it's for hydrogen. It's going to take 30 years to develop, and meanwhile, we still haven't got any more fuel efficiency. We're not exploring alternative fuels like methane. I know it's hard to do holding that chicken over the gas tank, but you know, or ethanol, which is basically fuel Mr. alcohol. Dobbs. It's grain alcohol. You can say, if I get stopped by the police, my car's been drinking. Not me, baby. <laughs> or maybe helium, because if you have a helium car, if you have a helium car, you get rear-ended, next thing you know, hey, something's wrong. <laughs> Mr. Dobbs, you have got to return to your podium. Well, some order. We some order. Yes, you have... talk about responsibility. What about you? Your Treasury Department lost $28 we million. Have... They can't account for it. Return to your podium. Tell me, tell me that you are not receiving major campaign finance contributions from the oil companies. That's oh, just... Mr. I Dobbs. don't take kindly to the fact that you're calling me a liar, Mr. Dobbs. 
I basically say, if this is a debate, you should answer questions honestly. You should be accountable for who you are. The voters should know, basically, what you represent. And if you're representing special interest groups, maybe we should be like NASCAR. You know, we'd be in the Senate with our suits on, and basically they should know if you're backed by something. It'd be like little patches like they wear in NASCAR. You can say, you know, Vioxx, the backaches end, the heart attacks begin. And we'll put the big one on the back, Enron. We take your money and run. Smackdown. All right, real talk. We're ready. Our feet just touched. That was weird. It's, it was intimate. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Man of the Year. Let's go ahead and get this over. Written and directed by Barry Levinson. Not Bob Levinson. I know a guy named Bob Levinson. That's why I was saying that. <laughs> I, I honestly, I thought it was just like the Bob De Niro thing. I, I thought oh, that you no, had yeah. Robert De Niro in your head. It's like Roberto Zombrelli. No, I know a guy named Bob Levinson, and so that's why it was clicking like that. Is but, he a filmmaker? Does he make awesome movies? No, he's not even like a friend of mine. He's just <laughs> he's like an acquaintance <laughs> that I met through a friend. So, dude, you know. Yeah, exactly. So Barry Levinson of uh, Sleepers, Wag the Dog fame, also Envy, which I've never seen, but I've always been infinitely fascinated by that film. He did Envy? He did. I, I haven't seen it, but it's like I keep finding out movies that he's made that he doesn't know about. <laughs> uh, Man of the Year, released on... October 13th of 2006, which was like we were talking about, we we're trying to figure out that was not an election year, so kind of odd placement. But really, honestly, I mean, the way the politics work and elections work, I mean, it's like you have maybe one year that's not flooded with campaign yeah. shit, and then it starts building up to the election year, so it doesn't really matter. And no topics were tackled at all in this film, so it wasn't like... <laughs> yeah, as far as like actual election like yeah. topics, like issues, yeah, no. Yeah, uh, American president was goddamn 20 years ago, and that was talking about gun control and shit. Uh, I found this through three different sources. I still refuse to believe that the budget for this film was $20 million. That seems way too low. Okay, so what does that mean? If it's, let's say, let's, let's assume that this is true, and it was only $20 million to make this movie. What does that mean? That the actors were just, like, working scale? Like, they well, really... Okay, so... The film probably co- how much does film cost? Because this movie probably cost eighteen thousand dollars to make, <laughs> and then the rest just went to all the actors, or not. I mean, you know, what happens if they really believed in this? Uh, yeah, thing? with Robin Williams and Barry Levinson's odd relationship, it's very likely that he didn't really take that much money. That's why you look like a movie. I bring this up all the fucking time. Dave, that movie with Eddie Murphy. Oh, I think we talking about like Dave that we just did. No, <laughs> Meet Dave. I'm sorry, is oh, the name oh, of the yeah. Eddie Murphy one. That movie has like, I think like an eighty million dollar budget, <laughs> and it's because like Eddie Murphy just you know costs so much. To... Oh, he he plays like ten different people, and he pays himself for every role that he plays. Have <laughs> you never seen Meet Dave? I haven't. That's oh, the one where God. he's like he's a spaceship, right? Yeah, he's yeah that. Uh, Come on. I saw the trailer. That's all I needed to see. (laughs) That movie has one legitimately funny moment. Um, Box office return of $41.2 million. So he doubled his budget. I guess. If that's true. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I really, listeners, we're we're reaching out to you. If anybody knows what the deal is behind... uh, I wasn't able to confirm these numbers on Box Office Mojo. That's why I don't really believe them, because that's usually what I go by for those things. Yeah, that's... that just sounds weird. There is no way. Like I would imagine, Robin Williams alone would take up more of your budget, most of your budget. If mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I mean, Jeff Goldblum, he has to make some money, like you know, above scale. Yeah. And then Laura Leaney, I mean, she's she's not like box office draw, but she's like a solid like 
And you have Oscar to pay Christopher Walken actress. at least six million dollars to say the word SmackDown. Yeah, no, Walken. SmackDown. Uh, just because Walken is in every movie that he's that's offered to him doesn't mean that he's <laughs> that he's cheap. That just means that he's he'll take anything as long as you pay him. He's like so. Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he, he just he's still he's still a name. So that's just weird. Um, yeah. It uh, there weren't too many notes outside of that takedown. Interestingly enough, the title role was offered and I believe written for Howard Stern, but he turned it down. That would have been a much more interesting movie. Yeah. <laughs> I think that he would have taken it. I. Well, he turned I, it down. He said because of obligations to his radio show. Part of me thinks he read the script and was, and just he was like, like, "Fuck this shit." Yeah. Uh, I. I like Robin Williams. I I don't know if I, I love, love Robin Williams. Williams. I don't know if I love Robin Williams. I mean, okay. Mrs. I, Doubtfire was a very big part of my childhood. I, in my case, would be like Aladdin. I think Aladdin is like the one where I was just like, holy shit, this guy's a genius. He's in Aladdin? <laughs> uh, not – do not – Make the mistake that I did back when I didn't know enough to differentiate like voices in English. But he's not the genie in the second Aladdin movie. <laughs> did you know that? <laughs> I did. <laughs> oh, and he came back for the third one, which I haven't seen. But anyway, uh, I guess to me, like Robin Williams is like brilliant in in a lot of movies. But there's also a lot. Of, he's also in a lot of like really bad movies, and that kind of like taints the the memory of him you know as a performer i it just i'm like he's great in this but then like he did like shit and even there's some bad movies of his that i enjoy but doesn't mean that they're good like like rv have you ever seen rv dude <laughs> i don't know i mean i've seen rv don't don't be coming to me with that shit have you seen rv twice because i've seen rv <laughs> twice <laughs> i i screened rv and then i took my girlfriend to watch rv with me so Good i really Lord. i have no i have no excuse i am just i'm a horrible person <laughs> or rather i i really shouldn't complain about robin williams's choice of movies when i go to see one of his mediocre movies twice yeah. uh but uh I think that all that being said, this probably would have been a much more interesting movie with Howard Stern as the lead mm -hmm. than Robin Williams because his style of comedy and his type of performance, it just kind of like it makes it more of a mess than than it already is. But before we get into like all the many thoughts I have about this movie <laughs> – Let's see. There what... were people that liked it. Oh yeah, there were some. Twenty-one percent of people reported liked it. Twenty-one percent is pretty low. That is pretty. That is pretty bad. I think and... that was black sheep. Same thing. Really, it was. Yeah. It, it was. It had black sheep numbers. Um, black sheep's better than this. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, okay, so Brett Buckaloo from Filmstew.com says. Even though it's only two-thirds of a solid comedy, it doesn't take a high-priced pollster to figure out that this is a far better ratio than a lot of other re recent yuckfests. That was... Ah. But, okay, number one, why would you call it a yuckfest? That's just... <laughs> don't use the word yuck for jokes. That's just bad. Um, Laura Clifford from Reeling Reviews says, Isn't as biting as Wag the Dog was, nor as prescient, but it throws an issue into the ring as it entertains its audience. So Bill, it wasn't Wag the Dog? It wasn't. Have you seen Wag the Dog? Oh, many moons ago. It, I've, I've seen it several times. That is an amazing movie, and it's kind of hard to believe that the same person that... It was nominated made, for several Oscars, I think. Uh, yeah, I think Dustin Hoffman was nominated for, like, supporting actor. De Niro should have gotten one for, like, main actor. Uh, 
it's crazy to think that that movie was directed by the same person that directed this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, Bill Zwicker from Chicago Sun-Times says, Williams' scene as Dobbs debating his presidential opponents alone is worth the price of admission to this film. It's laugh-out-loud hysterical. Bill Zwicker, another news, is 75. <laughs> no joke. Senior humor is yep. the phrase we coined while watching this film. <laughs> yes, that, that should have been the tagline. Man of the year, senior humor. <laughs> uh, Terry Lawson from Detroit Free Press said, No one will mistake man of the year for movie of the year, but it says something's worth being said without the usual straight face. And then Amy Bencoli from Houston Chronicle says, Man of the Year isn't Movie of the Year. It might have been an ironic condemnation of electoral fraud and the malignant sway of corporate profits. But for a while, anyway, it had my vote. That's two reviews, two quotes in a while that used Man of the Year, Movie of the Year. Uh, and we should elaborate. Play. Senior humor is not necessarily a bad thing, but you do need to realize that that is literally only appealing to one I would say I would Iota. argue that it's a bad thing. I would argue that it, it lowers the standard. I'm not saying that it, that that you know senior citizens. Okay, number one, I'm not saying all senior citizens laugh at this. Yeah. you know it's, but and I'm also not saying that the senior citizens that do laugh at this are bad people. But I'm just saying that. They it, should be laughing at other things. <laughs> yeah, it's geared towards. Yeah, it, it's it's like your favorite word. It's, it's pandering to seniors. Yes, <laughs> you know they're just like much like the help. Exactly. Yeah, uh, and just closing, Donald Monroe from Fresno B says it's certainly no political classic, but it's worth at least a couple of electoral votes. Uh, so. You have we tell. have we established that yet? My thing, my genuine dislike for the help. Have we established? Has that been a theme yet? I think you might have mentioned a couple of times okay. that, that it's just that and the blind side, the, the help, the blind side, yeah. which, okay, going completely off track for like just a minute. Uh, uh, a lot of people, I haven't watched Creed yet. Have you watched Creed? No, you haven't. I don't you have haven't seen the movie yeah. since like, Oh, you haven't, you have no interest, mm -hmm. Mr. Rocky. You're not going to go watch uh, no. Creed. I, I'm, I just have no interest in it. Well, it's supposed to be really good. I've heard it's really good. It's supposed to be really good. My friend but... Chris vouched for it, and okay, we usually well, agree. It's also like on the interwebs, it's getting like Oscar buzz. Which, really? Yes, which made me instantaneously call it like, oh, so it's this year's uh, Blindside. But you can't say that because that's racist. It, then. Well, no, I wasn't being racist. I was just saying like, you know, it's the, it's the feel-good movie that's going to get like the Oscar nomination. I don't have to watch Creed to tell you it's a better made film than The Blindside. But that's what everybody else that has seen it says. <laughs> I haven't seen Creed, so of course I really shouldn't be talking shit about it. And I'm not really. I'm sure it's good because I like... I've uh, seen The Blindside. I know what it is. <laughs> It is a made-for-lifetime movie at best. Well, I mean... Sandra Bullock should have won her fucking Oscar for Gravity. <laughs> I, I'm fine with Sandra Bullock having an Oscar, but winning for the fucking blind side. Uh, Creed, Creed has Michael B. Jordan, which I think is a great performer. He's really good. He's, he's been good in everything I've seen him, including, and here's about this is me torpedoing my credibility, uh... Fuck, and now I don't remember the name of the movie. Fantastic Four? No, Fantastic Four, I mean, I'll go to bat for it, but it's not because of uh, Michael Bale Station? No, everybody loves that movie. No, 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 the one where he's with uh, Zac Efron and the guy from Whiplash. Uh, that awkward moment. I like that movie. That movie is that movie's When fine. you don't remember Miles Teller's <laughs> name? Yes. Uh, that awkward moment is funny, 
It's it's funny enough. I don't get the hate other than this, like, oh, it's these three popular guys having sex. But uh, but Michael B. Jordan is great in it. He's great, and he's never disappointed in anything I've seen him, including Fantastic Four. So I'm sure he's great in Creed. And uh, everybody's saying Stallone should get like a supporting nomination because he's really good. And and I'll buy it because I think that's, uh, that Stallone, when he's not directing himself, I mean, I think that he could go places. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and overall, I think that it's all the elements for it to be like an awesome crowd-pleasing movie. Like crowd-pleasing is not bad. Crowd-pleasing can be really good. You know, but it's still crowd pleasing. Yeah. You know, I don't think that Creed is like challenging people no. to like think about stuff and whatever. You know, it's, it's so funny. I just rewatched Interstellar today, and I, I didn't realize that's like in the seventies on Rotten Tomato. And it, it, yeah, it's too much. It was too much for people. Exactly. That's, it, I, I thought you were about to say that's too high, and I was about to punch you in the face. No, but no, no, no. I like the, I like Interstellar. I do not like Interstellar as much as other people do, but I like it. But it's exactly what you're saying. That was like think about things and people are like <laughs> fuck you i don't look up the movies right please. i mean i mean i'm gonna sound like a complete asshole if creed is not like this but i'm assuming I mean, creed is just like you know he comes to stallone he trains him he goes up he wins the fight and it's like that's fucking inspirational you, you know the story right like it's Apollo creed's son yeah yeah, yeah i know okay. he's a son i mean it, it has a i i love crowd pleasing movies but but there's still crowd pleasing and it, it, for better or for worse i have not seen the blind side and i have not seen the help but they seemed to me, they sounded to me like they were crowd-pleasing movies. Yeah, well, it's a bit different in that Blindside is just dribble. And <laughs> I understand it's a true story and all that, but, like, as are all made-for-lifetime movies type thing, it's based on a true story. The Help, much like Man of the Year, so we can tie this back in, knows its audience and manipulates it. I know it's based on a book and everything, but... Except that Man of the Year, you could argue, it doesn't really know its audience because it backfired. I don't know if it... Well, I guess it didn't bomb because allegedly it made twice as, as, as yeah, budget. Yeah, just what I'm trying to say is what... Not that it successfully does in the way The Help did, but like it tries to manipulate its audience into that. Obviously, we're dealing with much, much different things here. And The Help, I, I do understand the true story and all that behind it. But I, I really dislike the argument when people say, like, it's based on a book. It's like, okay, well, a book can convey a much fucking different meaning than a movie does, and they can use much different tactics. Well, yeah, but also, I mean, you could argue just because it's a book doesn't mean that it automatically is, like, art. Mm-hmm. You know, like, a book can be – I'm not saying that crowd-pleasing does not mean that it's not art, or it doesn't mean that it's not art, but uh, a book can be a crowd-pleaser, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the whole point is just that – it's kind of silly when you point when you when you pit a, a crowd pleasing movie against a movie that's actually trying to like do more than that. Yeah, it kind of feels like, oh uh, well, you know. That's okay. why my boy Chris Nolan always gets hate because he tries to like, you know, for better or for worse, he at least makes what he wants and he's going to challenge people that are watching it. Right, but now bringing it back to Man of the Year, would you say I'm putting you on the spot because I haven't seen The Help? Would you say The Help is better? Than Man of the Year because yeah. okay it is okay good yeah it, it, it is like and all like I was saying obviously it's much different things the helps dealing with fucking segregation and these really serious <laughs> things whereas like well but but Man of the Year is dealing with like uh, at least political it's, strife it's, well yeah it's trying to I I think that at its heart I I do believe that Bear Levinson was trying to address a lot of shit it's just that he did it in a very weird clunky way yeah. and it just doesn't work but. The that, help is well made. It's you know, um, it, it's weird considering like such a serious thing as sap, but it, it you know, it's kind of like Titanic, where like a ton of people died, 
and this movie's <laughs> made that's like one thousand percent sap, but it's good. Just because I didn't the, like movies like The Help didn't resonate with me doesn't mean that it doesn't hit home to someone else. I can view it as manipulative and told from a poor point of view, but that doesn't mean it's not going to work for someone else. Man of the Year don't work for fucking nobody. <laughs> like that's you know well, it worked for twenty one percent. We went in this whole sidebar, and you know The Help is a movie that won Academy Awards, and so like obviously uh, Octavia Spencer won, right? Uh, I think Octavia Spencer and, uh, and Viola Davis didn't win. Oh, she didn't win. No, okay, yeah, um, but um, well, she got a TV show now, so she's fine. Uh, but yeah, so Man of the Year is hot garbage, man. Like I, it, <laughs> and that's the thing. Like the Help, Blindside, shit like that. I can come up with these like really elaborate things about why it doesn't work with Man of the Year. I was told you, I think I watched it on a flight or on vacation one time or something. None of that. I did not recall any of like what just a total train wreck it is. Uh, it, it is a train wreck. But if any points are to be awarded to it, it would be for intentions. Because I, I think, I truly think, like I said, that Barry Levinson was aiming for something. He just completely missed the mark. Uh, I think that it's trying to say something about what goes on what it's like to like about the, the the electoral process i think that there is there is something about you know the silliness of oh well are we seriously considering uh a comedian donald trump well not even though at the time it wasn't donald trump but you know even i like john stewart <laughs> it was not as scary <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh but at the time you know it's like should John Stewart be a president? And the fact that we're in a position where we're actually asking ourselves that question, yeah. that that says a lot. And clearly a movie made about that question, that's a movie worth making. Mm-hmm. It's just that where it goes with it, it's just so weird. It's yeah. just so it, even even if you remove the biggest problem in the movie is clearly the Laura Lini subplot. That that's just something that just goes in a completely different direction. You would not expect a movie like this. There's not even like transitions between tones. No, no, no. It's, it's just like, yeah. you know, Robin Williams being funny and then Laura Linney being assaulted in her apartment. It's just, it, it, it's disturbing and very unsettling and not in a way that helps the movie mm-hmm. because the movie should be making you, if the movie is going to unsettle you, it should be a, because it unsettles you about the truth of the, how corrupt, politics are or how little sense they make do you like the ides of march yeah i like it i like that it. Would, I think a movie like this man of the year with the subplot being like that ryan gosling like manipulating media and things like that that would work far more than this radical right. political conspiracy. i thing. agree a hundred percent yeah this is just it just feels weird because the the laurelini thriller subplot uh it just it has very little to do with everything else that the movie is trying to say. Mm-hmm. You know, if the movie is trying to say, hey, Americans are so fed up with their political options that they would rather turn to a comedian that says really clever things on his TV show as a president. OK, well, that's something that has absolutely nothing to do with somebody 
uh, discovering a glitch in the software that they're using for the these elections and then her being drugged and completely discredited and then running for her life that has that's that's a completely different movie and it's not even like the government put him up to it because we need to put someone we can control in power it's just right like, no 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 this is just, it's just yeah this it, it, it's a different movie it's, apple it, made it a faulty uh, app like that kind of yeah, thing yeah exactly and it, yeah it's i mean i would watch that movie uh you know but it's just not the movie that was supposed to be inside man of the year man of the year should have been about robin williams being a comedian that's really popular that gets selected and then realizes oh shit i'm a comedian i'm not <laughs> i'm not fit to rule the country and or or i'm a comedian and i'm also really good at running the country how awesome is that but either way you could have made that movie and you didn't need the laurel lini yeah. uh it's a plot and as I told you, as we were watching it, that to me is the best part of the entire film, the way Robin Williams reacts. Because after he wins, his whole demeanor is, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And that's good, but the problem is it's mixed in with all these other things. There's really one funny moment the the where he does dress up like a... Early historic president. I, 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 I don't think I laughed at that. What did I laugh at? I'm trying to remember. Uh, I don't think we laughed out of genuine. genuine I, I, I think I laughed at something, but I might have been like laughing at it instead of laughing with it. Uh, which reminds me, before I forget, uh, earlier in the previous segment, I was trying to think of like a good way of comparing like what this movie, what I was saying, this movie was trying to do, <laughs> yeah. and it's like uh, the the like a war movie. You know, like most war movies are intent on telling you that war is bad, and, and rightfully so. War is terrible, mm -hmm. you know. But it, it would be like somebody watching uh, Saving Private Ryan or watching The Thin Red Line and coming out of it and saying, man, war is awesome. So, you know, that would be like the same thing as somebody watching this movie and just walking out of it and going like, man, things are awesome in America because we can – we could yeah. elect a, a comedian if we wanted to. And the whole point is that, no, it's not. <laughs> you know, uh, When you're stuck with that, you have a movie like The Patriot. You walk out of it like, <laughs> fuck yeah, war. <laughs> exactly. And then exactly. you watch the movie 10 years later and you're like, what the hell is that? Yep. Uh, the same red coat killed both his sons? <laughs> How does that happen? Because it's a movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, there is a, it, it's a shame because there's so many talented people here. I really like Laurel Linney. Uh, I don't know what. Man, the, I wasn't kidding. This movie hates women. <laughs> like every female character in it is either written to you know be weak or is a side character. I like Laura Lenny too. I, I find her very entertaining and um, she she handles talented. a lot of yeah no she handles a lot of like tricky moments in this movie. Uh, she handles them well. It's just it's not good enough to to get through. You know. To cross the line into a good movie, but uh, her character is easily the most interesting in the movie. I really like. There's there's a moment when right after she tells Robin Williams the truth, and then she goes, "I don't even vote, so I don't know why I care so much." Yeah. I'm like, that is like a really powerful grain of truth that you're burying in a shitty movie. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Her whole character is buried in a shitty movie. Yeah, the, the tone the movie sets. By the time you introduce her, that you're already acclimated to this other setting, and so you're not prepared for like what her storyline is going to be. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's kind of a shame. She, I mean, everybody else, but her more than anybody else gets gets really shortchanged. Uh, and then you know, I mean, 
Christopher Walken. It's, it's he's being Christopher Walken, but you know, obviously, clearly, he's game for anything here. I'm I'm pretty confident since Joe Dirt, which we we need to do. I saw the other day is at eleven. <laughs> I think it's like either eleven or seventeen percent. Jesus, Joe Dirt is a fine film. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a fine movie. It's not a movie I would call a film. Uh, but I think since then he's just been because that was like. I do remember that getting a lot of attention for him just being like ridiculous. And I I think since then, especially he's just been Christopher Walken and this movie, you and me kept turning to each other, but he's Christopher Walken turned up to 11 in this. Well, yeah, he's given it. It's like all, someone uh, told him do your best Christopher Walken impression. Right, Christopher Walken playing Christopher Walken. Yeah. Uh, and, and later on Christopher Walken in a wheelchair, but he's still Christopher Walken. He's just oh. like, yeah. It, it's just weird. Now, uh, I mean, the big, the big attraction here is clearly. I mean, this is a Robin Williams movie. It's sold as a William, uh, a Robin Williams movie, and uh, I would not blame anyone for just being turned off on the principle of like, hey, I came to watch a Robin Williams movie, and I got hit with like all this other weird stuff. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, he has no more screen time than like anyone else in the film. Yeah, I think that he he gets less screen time than you would expect, definitely, yeah. and. And I was not kidding. I mean, I think he's funny. I think he's he can be really funny, but he's not funny in this movie. He and I, I mean, in the previous section, I I said that that was probably intentional, but now I'm thinking I I just don't know. Well, I was telling you, uh, a lot of the jokes he does are Lewis Black jokes, like legitimate from Lewis Black stand up, and some comedian you can't do other people's jokes because that's the whole point the inflection the expression and all that it's right. not going to work for every person right he doesn't have the anger that <laughs> that, that yeah i mean Lewis black has. Say, i love lewis black and you said you you like him in small doses but you know well yeah so like i've never watched like a whole like stand up special by him but you know whenever he shows up or, like on the daily show or whenever i've seen like little bits of him i'm like oh yeah he's funny but I don't know how if I can take like a whole hour of him being angry. And just, oh, it's <laughs> great. Is it okay? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. I, I don't know. It's just kind of sad. Like I told you, it was the first film of Robin Williams that I've watched since he passed, and it's like I wanted to miss him more. And I know there's movies that could, I would watch and be like, "Fuck, man." He I, is just to like to take us to a positive place here because I do think that it's. Uh, He's worth remembering in a positive way. He's, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. The Fisher King is fucking amazing. He's so fucking good in it. And I bring it up because, like I told you, mm-hmm. right after you told me this, I was like, oh, well, on Netflix, I watched Fisher King and uh, Good Morning Vietnam. And I think I watched like one more movie of his. Uh, I don't remember. But uh, and that, uh, Good Morning Vietnam is Barry Levinson, right? Right. That is Barry yeah. Levinson, which is also, I, I think it's worth pointing out. It has some of the tonal problems that you have in a movie like this. Like, it's worse. I haven't seen Toys, but I mean, I've heard Toys is a mess, which is them again, Barry Levinson and Robin Williams. But Good Morning Vietnam, Good Morning Vietnam has a very, very funny Williams performance. Uh, I don't know how much of that was ad libbed. I would imagine most of it was ad libbed because you know he's a DJ, so he's just like yeah. rambling on, and uh, he's really funny. And he has like really funny co-stars, like Bruno Kirby. It's he's like a. Uh, He's a character that wants his job, and at some point he gets to be behind the mic, and he's just terrible at it. <laughs> it's, it it's a really funny movie, but it also has like those weird like detours into uh, like action or thriller moments. Like you know, Williams is like under danger of being like killed a couple of times because he's it's like you know he's a soldier. It's like a war region and all that stuff. So, uh, but it's it's less jarring than the the tonal shifts in this movie. 
<laughs> where you just like they come out of nowhere. There's no transition. There's nothing to it. Yeah. I think honestly, my biggest complaint about this movie was the score, because <laughs> it'll be like whimsical and fun with the Robin Williams stuff. Then it'll be like when all the stuff with Laura Lenny's going on. It's weird. I don't know it's that literally I... like two films, like two trains ran into yeah, each other. Yeah, I think that if you haven't seen this movie, I I don't know that we can convey how weird it is that you're yeah. on one hand you have like the Robin Williams comedy, and another hand you have the Laura Lenny thriller. Well, and even to a certain point, it kind of like almost is like okay. And then there's this weird moment where she her hotel room gets broken into. And then she like yes. peeks in and you hear the guy on the phone, she knows. And then this big like dramatic music kicks in and she runs to her car and it's like, what the fuck are we watching? Yeah, I was uh I was looking at quotes at that time. I guess that was like uh the moment when uh the press conference happens, right? Like yeah. so Delacroix preempts his press conference to, so they can give their press conference and, and then Jeff Goldblum gets on the stage and gives his, his speech and then Robin Williams goes to Congress and then he, he just makes jokes and that's yeah. the point where I started like looking through my phone and like picking up codes I'm like I know I know the formula I know where we're going I think I think I'm safe for a few minutes and uh <laughs> And then next thing I know, I look up from my phone, and it's like fucking Laura Linney is like like a, a thriller directed by Jonathan Demi or something. It's just <laughs> she's running for her life, and like things are really serious. It's just it was just weird and and not good. Yeah, it's like it, I, I, I am. I tend to agree with you. I think there were good intentions here. It's not like some of the movies we've reviewed where it just was trash from the get go. Right. It was. It, I think because it was tackling like really complex issues. That they were they're worth talking about, but I think that it just kind of escaped his hands. I don't know. It's interesting because I was expecting like uh, when I was doing my research for it, and then after watching it, I was like, I'm really bummed I didn't read about like developmental and production hell. Like I was expecting to read something where like there were so many rewrites, da da da. da but it, it, yeah, the most interesting thing, and it's exactly what you said when we started watching it. The entire plot of the film was, what if John Stewart was president? And, you know, the political satire comedians of the day, they do have a much bigger impact now. And that's something that is interesting and that can be addressed and kind of is here. But this movie just got away from that. Yeah, nowhere near enough. It's not addressed nowhere, uh, anywhere near uh, as much as it should. That's that's the whole hook of the movie. And it just becomes something else. Mm-hmm. It's uh, And it's, of course, I mean, at this point, it's almost like kicking a... a, a <laughs> a, a horse down when it's already dead or whatever but the, the, you know like the ending it's just like beating bullshit. a dead horse is the American expression well I started with a different analogy and then I just went <laughs> you, you I went with the Peruvian. horse I know uh, but yeah kicking a dead horse down or whatever you say kicking a dead horse down okay <laughs> that's what I said kicking a dead horse down it's be- beating a dead horse is the expression okay welcome to America well it's like beating a dead horse thank you down. you're a citizen now <laughs> Okay, so beating a dead the dead horse that is the Robin Williams uh, movie, uh, that ending is just bullshit. Mm-hmm. So because especially once you've introduced like the thriller elements where like things are going really badly, and then to end up with it all being like happiness and sunshine, where he hooks up with Laura Linney and Laura Linney suddenly has like the education to become his producer, and in uh, Robin uh, Christopher Walken is like almost magically cured from whatever was killing him through the entire movie in his fucking bunker with bob dole somewhere yes whoever that person is that's just weird i i 
Yeah, I didn't even think of that until right now. She was like a computer programmer, but now she can be a producer of right, this highly right. rated television yeah, show. Yeah, she seems like right at home there. And just all she did, her only qualification is that, one, she likes to tell the truth. And and two, she was a big fan of his show. Yeah. That, that's all it is. That. I don't know. It just feels. So I can produce Monday Night Raw on Monday. Go for it. <laughs> uh, from what I hear, they're not doing a very good job. So. No, they're not. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it's. Uh, shit. What was my I think Robin Williams' effort was genuine, though. I think he he's a guy that always appeared as though you know. If he was given shit he didn't like, he was going to do it as sarcastically and almost as mean-spiritedly as possible. So, um, I really, though, didn't like that SNL scene. Really? Because I, I, I know that's... I just... Lorne Michaels would just... I liked it. I mean, I didn't like it. It's 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 a bad scene a bad movie. But I liked Amy Poehler and Tina Fey in it. Because I thought they... One, the few things they got to say were funnier than anything else in the movie. And uh, and two, when they were just listening to him, like, giving his speech, they were believably awkward. Like, I really... Be- like, I remember I told you, look at Amy Poehler. She was, like, playing with her pencil. Like, yeah. like she couldn't wait for this to be over. And so I bought it. I, I-, I thought that was that was very uh, believable. Now, the-, the fact that he goes on SNL to give this big, like, bombshell of news, that that is bullshit. I mean, yeah. like, most of the movie, that does not track at all. That, that's the thing uh, that that was my train of thought that I was trying to get on earlier. But uh, to act like everything would have been peaches and gravy afterwards, like, do you know the percentage of the American public like he cheated me out of my vote? Like, how many people would have fucking hated him and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. Give us the- our guns. Uh, <laughs> um, speaking of guns, like you said, absolutely no comment on issues of any kind. No, yeah, that's the thing. It tackles Even- one interesting iota of the political spectrum but even like during the debate and everything when he's talking he makes he takes no side on any issue at all he just makes like colorful observations yes yeah he just turns into his like stand-up act and that's doesn't like take a stance on anything and that's the thing when they're shocked that he wasn't elected it's like well maybe because you didn't take a fucking stance on anything (laughs) um yeah but just kind of weird quizzical writing and everything it's um, I wouldn't really call it terrible. It's just a disappointment more than anything. Yes. And now to go back to like what we said at the end of the last segment, when you were like, "Black sheep is better than this," I'm like, "Okay, well, <laughs> let's." Black let's sheep never had here. as much potential as this did. Right. So this is a bigger disappointment than black sheep, but I think that I will still give them some merit just for trying or for you know. For, for for aiming high, I think that Black Sheep especially, I haven't even seen uh, Tommy Boy, but Black Sheep was just like trying to squeeze off as much goodwill out of Tommy Boy fans was, as possible. But it, but it still has that scene where he's talking to the kids and the, you got to fight for your right to vote. Kill Whitey. Like that's <laughs> yeah, not going to top that. But um, I will put you on the spot. Out of the four political films we've watched, which was the best? Oh, hands down, The American President. But, I mean, that's not a surprise because I'm a big Aaron Sorkin fan. And I actually like the movie a lot more than you did. Actually, I'll put you in the spot back because you said you like Dave better than The American mm-hmm. President. And that is horseshit, sir. 
<laughs> I like Dave okay, but he hasn't. Dude, Sigourney Weaver is so much hotter than uh, Annette Benning. Okay, so is that that's your criteria? No, like, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, Dave, I, American President, I just kind of felt like I was walking in a circle over and over again, and then finally it kind of came through, and I went 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 on through. But uh, I, I enjoyed Dave. I, I enjoyed all these movies to a certain extent. Um, right, I don't regret having watched any of them. Uh, if it's I had a, to, if I had to rank them, I'd be American President, Dave, Man of the Year, and then Black Sheep, but only Man of the Year based on intentions. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, our whole uh, mission statement with this was like to tackle political movies. The only one that said anything at all was American <laughs> President, and that was about a forty-five second segment of the film. I was thinking about that earlier. I'm like. We just did four comedies. We yeah. didn't even like get into like a really next when we do a sequel to our. Well, because the problem is when we were doing this, when we were lining them all up, all the ones that actually tackle any issues like are kind of wedged right. in the middle. Yeah, they're not like high either scores. that or they're like fucking all the president's men or stuff like that. Where you're like, fuck that, I'm not talking shit about that movie. <laughs> Uh, like I wanted to do the Ides of March, but that's like sixty, sixty five, right? Something that's like that. yeah. So that's it's, not yeah. Uh, our, our friend Corey pointed. He was like, "Are you guys doing primary callers?" And I was like, "Oh, we should have, uh, which we might at some point, because that's kind of high. It's not super high like the ones, the highs that we've done in this one, but I think it's like in the '80s, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, that's John Travolta basically playing Clinton. So it's it's a good movie. Uh, that would uh, be a geez. good one. To do. <laughs> um, but yeah, so our political. Uh, how, how do you rank them? I gave you my ranking. How do you rank them? Uh, probably. I don't know, man, because objectively or subjectively, like I just <laughs> you have a black sheep first. No, well, that's just emotional attachment. Like, yeah, like black sheep out of all these movies we've watched, the one I'm most likely to rewatch tomorrow is going to be black sheep. But, God, for shame. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I enjoyed Dave. I enjoyed American President. I didn't quite get it. I think I just saw it a bit too late in life. It's, you know, it's like if I saw Titanic for the first time tomorrow, I'd probably be like, meh. Right, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Dave's great. Um, Mike Douglas is good in the American President, so I'd probably rank it like I don't know. Personal, you know, Black Sheep, Dave, American President, um, Man of the Year. He just lost any credibility we had with listeners. No, and that's why I said like <laughs> that's personal attachment to Black Sheep. All uh, like. I'm fully willing to admit, and you like almost brought me down a notch when we were watching Black Sheep, just being like, "Oh, he's not laughing." <laughs> this is funny, though. I, I would say I laughed about as much with Black Sheep as I did with Man of the Year. Uh, well, with Man of the Year, it was a lot more just kind of like <laughs> I cringed a lot more with Man of the Year as well. So, <laughs> all right, so that's going to complete our political quadrilogy, which we just kind of brainchild on our own. Um, that's going to take us up to episode 25, 24, 24. Okay. 25 is the big 100% uh, fresh movie. Ooh. Yeah. We're tackling modern times. Sir Charlie Chaplin. Sir, Char Sir Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Makes his contrarian's debut. We are going to tear him apart. That we have not done a... 100% movie, have we? No, there's the first. That's why it was so special. Unless some asshole just like gave it a negative review and made it less Armin than White. Yeah. But hopefully, it's been 100% for a while, and it was 100% last time I checked. So hopefully, it's still 100%. Either way, it's a movie that deserves to be taken down a notch. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take care of that. 
Uh, so plugs, the festive years provide our opening and closing music. Uh, their album is Don't Let Me Go. Is that right? Uh, don't Let Me Fool You? No. <laughs> don't Let Me Something. <laughs> Terrible people we are. <laughs> festive years, you can find them on iTunes, you can find them on Bandcamp, mm-hmm. and their album would be right next to their name. So yeah. if you check for the festive years, and their front man is uh, Christopher Lloyd, not... Not the guy that played Doc in Back to the Future, but also not Adam Cole. <laughs> but he he's much younger, and uh, yeah, he's they're great, and they're they provide our music. Uh, we're also today, Alex. Before I was here, before I came to record, I was at the Other Worlds Austin Film Festival, which is a science fiction festival. And of course, by the time that this episode airs. That festival will be long over, <laughs> but there will be another one next year. This was their second year. They had one in 2014, and it is awesome. I've only been there for one day. There's two more days to go, but it's just basically science fiction. Science fiction movies, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and uh, they have really cool stuff going on. It's all in one theater. Uh, who knows? It may be bigger next year, but the whole point is go to their website. We'll add a, uh, a link to the website on the on the webpage and uh, you can click and hopefully check it out next year. I don't know if you have anything to plug. You haven't seen anything worth Master of None. Did you? Oh yeah, you watched Master of None and and it changed your life, right? Uh, When you were like kind of like thrown off by how powerful it was. So, so literally anything could have like affected you. Like no. two and a half men would have just like. No. Did you, uh, like oh, okay. There was some stuff on there that was really. really oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the first episode? And it was, it was alright. I, I, you know, he's like watching the, the his friend kid, and I was like, it was funny until he was just him and the kids, and then I just, it just made me not like the kid. Like I don't care for that kind of comedy. Alright, guys. So that's gonna do it for us here this week on the Contrarians. Uh, watch Monday Night Raw. They really need some help right now. <laughs> but but should they? I mean, are they doing it just because because you want to just turn it like just turn it on, but don't watch it? Yeah, just just give them the ratings points. They they really need some help right now. <laughs> it's like the lowest ratings in twenty years. So <laughs> maybe there's a reason. There know? is. Maybe His name's they, Roman Reigns. Well, maybe they need to like hit rock bottom, and then you know that will cause them to like come back. Whatever it is that we'll will make see. people watch, they they got to put 120,000 people in Cowboys Stadium in, in April, so we need to help them out. Um, but yeah, all right. So thank you for sticking with us through the political trek, even though we didn't delve too deep into anything. Um, I'm glad you guys still have your guns, but uh, that's gonna do it for this episode here on the Contrans, where we're right and you're wrong, and we'll catch you next time. The summer of 1999.
Thank you for listening to The Contrarians. On your way out, be sure to swing over to youtube.com backslash ovniofilms. That's O-V-N-I-O films. And check out The New Adventures of Baby Jesus, a web series created and written by The Contrarians' very own Julio Oliveira. <laughs>